I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at music's effect on our everyday lives. Today, we are exploring the mathematics of music and how it has led to technology referred to as hit song science, HSS. This science makes it possible to predict a new song's hit potential and has also revolutionized the opportunities available to musicians. With me today is Mike McCready, a musician and entrepreneur whose companies have become case studies at Harvard Business School. His companies have been profiled in multiple documentaries and have had plot lines written around them in network television series. Mike pioneered the introduction of hit song science into the music industry and then co-founded and currently serves as CEO of Music X-Ray. He is a frequent guest speaker at top business schools around the world, and I'm thrilled to have him with us today. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Mike. Hi, thank you. It's really great to be here, Mindy. Mike, the premise of hit song science is that all songs have an underlying mathematical structure. And there are certain mathematical patterns that all hit songs have in common. Now, the average person listening to music, and even a lot of us in the music world, for that matter, don't necessarily connect the dots right away when someone mentions the mathematical structure of a song. Hmm. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what some of these mathematical structures and patterns are that you look for and identify. Yeah. Well, uh, first, I should say that, uh, you know, when it comes to the science of this, uh, I'm not the scientist. I, I kind of talk the talk here, but I don't, I don't walk the walk. So, <laughs> uh, you know, what I can, uh, what I can talk about is, is um, how it's been explained to me and how I, how I talk about the product when I was, um, selling this to the, to the, to the major labels. Okay. Um, we had a piece of software that could do what's called spectral deconvolution. That means that it could listen to a fully produced song like it, like you would hear on the radio or like you would uh, play on a CD or your you know your streaming services now and it could it could dissect it it could it could isolate the melody the harmony the beats tempo rhythm octave pitch chord progression fullness of sound cadence sonic brilliance or dullness uh, it, it was it was able to look at each one of these components and assign it a value. Um, it doesn't matter what that value is. It could be, you know, X. Um, when it started getting interesting was when you would have it analyze millions of songs. If we put all the songs into that machine and had it analyze all of it, then it would start comparing the songs to each other. And through this kind of data analytics and artificial intelligence, it would, it would sort of learn. Because if you, um, if you could make uh, every song, uh, uh, a white dot on a black background. So it would, you know, you'd have something that looks like the Milky Way galaxy in, in front mm-hmm. of you, and each each star or each point of light representing a song that had been released. Mm-hmm. And then, if you removed all the songs that had never been hit songs, what you were left with were these sixty constellations, these sixty clusters scattered, you know, over that field. And if you analyzed the top forty. Uh, in a, a given week, you would find that those songs, almost all of them fall within those already established clusters. And not not all 60 of them, they'd fall within maybe like eight or nine of them. Hmm. And then you'd come back, you know, s- several months later and take another snapshot of the top 40. And you'd find that all of the songs fall still into eight or nine clusters, but they're eight or nine different clusters instead of the the original 
And the cluster and- is representing all of these different components that you mentioned, like melody, harmony, beat, tempo, rhythm, all of that. Yes. It's kind of a combination of all of them. It's those. kind of a combination of, of all of them. So, you know, it, it would look at all of these factors and it would end up trying to assign a weighting, a, a, a priority. It, it, you would try to figure out what makes this song a hit. Is it primarily the melody that drives it? Is it primarily melodies when they're coupled with harmonies and for what mm-hmm. percentage of the song? Is it, uh, you know, chord progressions that, uh, you know, go three, two, five or, uh, you know, the reverse or, uh-huh. or, you know, how often do you put in a minor chord um, or a dissonant chord? Um, and ultimately, it comes up with what it feels is is its its own weighting for these components. And the the interesting thing about this is when you're using machine learning, um, you're not telling it what it has to learn. It's it's kind of figuring it out. You're you're it's figuring out what hit songs have in common with each other. Okay, interesting. So you can tell a record company songs, new songs that are or are not conforming to some of these mathematical patterns of past hits. And that doesn't necessarily mean that this song will be a hit if it does conform. But you can sort of rule out the outliers. Is that the idea? Well, yes, yes and no. So this product, uh, as as it was called, Hit Song Science, uh, is 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 not really in use anymore in the way that it was uh, in the in the early two thousands. Um, we've moved on in our ability to predict not just hit songs, but more what we would call. Um, commercially viable songs and that can be commercially viable in a lot of different ways not just as a hit song okay you have music that is uh you know the product itself when it is yes. a hit song but uh, most other times when you hear music it's an enhancer to another product sure it's playing on a video game or it's in a movie or an advertisement uh-huh. um, you know or, or or something like that and so we use this type of technology now to help um the music industry identify high potential songs and talent for the appropriate opportunities that they have. Uh huh. Well, and I think it's interesting that you use these mathematical structures and, and other factors that kind of play into this that hopefully we'll have time to talk about to come up with different grades. Like you have the hit grade, but then you also have, do you say this period? periodicity grade that mentions periodicity yeah okay that meant that that uh, reflects current taste and listener trends how many of these different grades does a song get oh gosh um you know i think that we had uh four or five different um attributes i guess that we would try to score the song on um Periosity would mean is kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Um, a lot of times when we listen to a hit song or a song that gets in our head, it's like it's like you're scratching an itch on your on your brain, mm-hmm. and you hear that song a number of times until finally you're you're tired of it. It's it almost you don't want to scratch that itch anymore, but you move over to another one. And what we were able to see that not only do we do that as individuals, but we kind of do that as a market and as the months would go by, we would see these different of these 60 constellations lighting up. What was interesting was that even with the introduction of new genres, uh, you know, because we'd look at this retroactively and we would look at, okay, did did the introduction of disco change things? Did the introduction of hip hop change things? And it didn't. These new genres 
the at least the hit songs from these new genres were still conforming to these same patterns that have um, been delightful to the human mind since uh, the times of the classical composers, which is about yeah. as far back as we can go. Well, that's what's really fascinating is we're not just talking about the last several years or even the last 50 years, but you go back 300 years and you look at melodies that were popular written by Mozart and you find that they conform to the same mathematical patterns. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's absolutely fascinating. But when you think about it, it does, you know, there's some common sense to it. There, you know, as a species, we can all pretty much agree on what smells terrible or what is a pleasant smell. And I guess in that regard, we can kind of all agree on what sounds good to our ears. Ah, interesting. So these patterns haven't necessarily the mathematical patterns haven't necessarily changed. They've just been repeated using different sounds, different instruments, different styles. Yeah. And um, one of the interesting things that we would say when we would go to sell this to uh, music labels, we would say, look, you know, we think that a song has to have three components in order to be successful. One, it has to sound like a hit to the human ear. Two, it has to be promoted as a hit. You have to put the promotion budget behind it that the songs that it's competing with uh, have behind them. Mm -hmm. And then three, you have to have what we started calling these optimal mathematical patterns, for lack of a, you know, a better way of saying it. And that was something that was you know hit was hit or miss most of the time, and a lot of the times you just couldn't hear it and uh but you would get a producer using this technology and they could kind of play warm or colder with it, come up with mm. several different mixes, and find that uh in some instances uh a mix that maybe wouldn't have been their first choice, you know they ended up picking it because of the technology, and it ended up working out interesting well, I read that music executives accuracy rate in predicting what song is going to become a hit was less than 20%. And the technology that you use with music x-ray is closer to 80%. Is that right? Yeah. You know, it's hard to get a you know, a completely accurate reading on its accuracy because you don't have a parallel universe in which to Mm -hmm. test whether songs would have been hits or wouldn't have been hits if the marketing had acted differently, right? So you can only end up making the choice that you made and seeing what your success rate was. Uh Um, So, you know, those that that statistic was compiled from the, you know, the cases that we were able to work on. But there were a lot of cases that we, you know, that we weren't involved in. And so we don't know how that would have gone if they had made a different decision. Well, and you're real clear that this technology and this platform is not taking out the human element at all. And there's creativity and art is uniquely human. And these computers aren't creating anything new. They're just analyzing what has already been created. Talk to us about some of the ways that this helps humans in terms of, like, say, an artist submits a song for evaluation, you can use this technology to give them some feedback on what's working and what's not. Kind of like, okay, here's some variables that we can see are pulling your song away from some of those hit clusters in the Milky Way (laughs) galaxy. And it might be the baseline or, you know, talk to us about how it helps with something like that. Well, the way that we uh, the way that we use this technology now at at Music X Ray is is a bit different. Um, musicians go; they can open an account for free. They upload their their music that ideally is you know mastered and ready to ready to go. Although there are a lot of opportunities there for songwriters that they're just looking for a song and a rough demo is fine. But um, you know, since we're talking about 
kind of hit prediction. Um, what happens is on, on the industry professional side, so, so it's a two-sided marketplace. And on one side, we have about half a million musicians, bands, songwriters, and performers. And on the other side, we have about 1,200 music industry professionals. And these are industry professionals that are currently employed across the industry. They're, they're the A&R executives at the major labels. Uh, those are the people who decide which bands get signed to a record deal or, or some, often which songs go on uh, a record. Um, the music supervisors, who are the people who decide music, uh, what music goes into uh, movies and television, some advertising executives, uh, and then there are managers and producers on there as well. But these are all people who are looking for whatever it is they're looking for. It could be I'm looking for uh, uh, you know, a love ballad that's going to go into a pharmaceutical advertisement. Mm -hmm. Or you know, I could be looking for uh, a love ballad that I want to go into my, you know, the scene in a movie that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. So what these people do on their side is they can upload songs that sound and feel like what they're looking for. So let's say this guy that has the, the love ballad for the movie, he wants something that sounds like Air Supply. So he uploads two or three air supply songs into his account. We have a piece of software that analyzes that, understands what that song sounds like, and then alerts every musician in our system who has a similar sounding song in their account mm -hmm. sitting there. And it says, hey, there's a guy, a music supervisor over there who's looking to place a song like yours. Mm -hmm. They wow. can go look at the brief and then they can say, okay, I want to submit my song to that opportunity. So the industry professional is getting – Songs that are highly appropriate already delivered to their inbox. They don't have to wade through a ton of stuff that isn't going to be, uh, you know, right for what they're looking for. Well, and if so they're not a musician, they might not have the greatest ear for picking up something that's going to fit the need. But if there's a mathematical structure that they can compare the ear supply song to what they kind of want, then yeah. they kind of know they're getting the right thing, the right song. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, how many times do you have someone working on a film who's not a musician who picks a song and they're kind of like, yeah, I, I think this fits. And other people are who are more into music, you know, know what they're doing are kind of like, eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, you know, the music, it's a music supervisor is a tough job because you have that kind of scrutiny on you all the time. Right. You, you, you can if you do it right, you can. Sometimes you can only mess things up, right? As long as you don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bob Bender, host of the Business Side of Music podcast. Check out our show where we talk about all things related to the music industry. We laugh, we share memories, we discuss what's worked and what didn't work. Our industry is always evolving and can never be locked inside a box. From the rookie fresh off the bus to the well-seasoned professional wondering which new direction to take their career, our show covers all the bases. Join us as we chase this elusive animal we like to call the music industry. Check us out at businesssideofmusic.com. This is a quick break for our sponsor, Rollflex. If you're a regular listener of this show, you've probably heard me talk about my Rollflex Pro. It played a significant role in healing my repetitive use injuries, and I've continued to use it every day for years, both to prevent injuries and because it feels so good. The Rollflex Pro is a foam roller tool with clam-shaped arms that provide leverage to adjust the pressure to whatever you like or can tolerate. 
I use it mainly on my arms and in the neck shoulder area, but it can be used on any body part because of how it's designed. I highly recommend it. As I mentioned, I've been using the Rollflex daily for years and recently signed up as an affiliate. So you can help support the show at no extra cost to you by purchasing through my link in the show notes. The Rollflex is eligible for reimbursement from flexible spending accounts and HSAs. It's also eligible for medical insurance reimbursement in certain situations. More information is on the Rollflex website. Well, it's it's obvious how this can help industry professionals identify that high potential music, the talent, and connecting them with it. Talk to us a little bit about the opportunities for musicians. I mean, that's sort of self-evident too, but talk about the increased opportunities for musicians. When when we first started creating Music X-Ray, uh, you know, our our competition was the old way of doing things in the music industry. Over time, uh, kind of the old way of doing things in the music industry has has kind of faded away, and young musicians today don't have a lot of memory of how it used to be. But uh, you know, if you wrote a song and you didn't know someone who knew someone in the music industry, good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could send it in, but you know, people labels weren't accepting unsolicited material, so you'd send something in on tape or CD, and it would end up in the trash. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make, uh, you know, we wanted to make a portal where the musicians could get their music to the industry professionals and be guaranteed a listen and a reply from that industry professional, and to have it cost less in time and money than it would have cost them to, you know, to package it up and send it off, at, you know, yeah. send off their CD. And then we started applying these technologies underneath it to uh, to to make it more efficient, so that we could give musicians fast feedback. They can spend you know ten dollars on our site, but actually get real responses and understand that hey, you know, you're we can give you we can even predict the likelihood of success that you're going to have on the site. Mm-hmm. And we can say you've got a forty percent chance of at least one industry professional picking this song up, which isn't that high of a chance. We would probably recommend don't. Don't continue to invest in this song. Come back with something else. We can quickly give you an estimate of the likelihood of it being picked up for an opportunity. And if, wow. the, if that likelihood is high, then the musician kind of um, you know has realistic expectations and can move forward. Wow! And that's yeah something that wasn't available before. Yeah. So I mean, it really levels the playing field and increases the opportunity of, of who's hearing this music. The other thing, as you're talking, that I'm thinking of is music can be a very subjective thing, and yet there are all these mathematical factors to music. Uh, okay. So for example, I'm a music teacher. My kids are both swimmers. And when they swim in a swim meet, it's very cut and dried. Who won? Who came in first, second, third, fourth? If I have students play for a contest, play the piano for a contest, it is not cut and dried at all. I mean, you could have one judge who is just loving the expression that a, a student is displaying. And they might not care that there's some wrong notes being played here and there. They're just eating up that expression and they're going to give uh-huh. that student a higher grade. And you could have other students who, you know, so this is really a great way to give more objective feedback to musicians because how often can they really get that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the point. Although, you know, sometimes it's a tough sell because, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot more, uh, 
aspiring songs and aspiring musicians, then there are opportunities. So you always you you always creating kind of a bottleneck, and more often than not, you're selling rejection, and you know it takes a you know, sometimes a little swallowing of your pride or, or mm-hmm. you know, be, being more mature than I feel most of the time yeah. uh, to, uh, to, to, to take that. And um, so sometimes you have to be ready for the, uh, the, for tough the feedback, love. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, tell us where fans fit into this equation, because they get to be involved in this process, too. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that part, that... Uh, that that ended up being very interesting. Uh, so we we wanted to start enabling musicians to get fan feedback as well. The way advertising works on Google these days, if you're an advertiser, you essentially bid to have your ad placed in front of a user who has just searched for something related to your to your business. And uh, if your competitor is bidding a little bit higher, this this uh, this auction all happens automatically, and it happens in fractions of a second, and then that's how it's determined what what ad you see. In a way, businesses look at that as, you know, their cost per customer acquisition if, if that click results in them eventually getting your business. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted artists to have an ability to say, I, you know, I want to acquire fans. I know that acquiring fans costs money, whether it's, you know, I got to do free shows or whatever you're doing to, to acquire the fan in the first place. So we wanted to say, we want to put your song in front of music or in front of fans who are likely to like your kind of music. So again, we would tell the musician, give us three bands whose fan base you think would love you. Mm-hmm. So they'd, they'd give us, you know, their, their three bands. And then we had like a one and a half million fans signed up and, uh, or still have on Music X-Ray. And in their sign-up process, they have given us access to their playlists on Spotify and, and their, they've, they've given us their names of their top bands. And so we're able to correlate. So. In this process that we call diagnostics, when we're giving a song its initial feedback, we send the song to 20 fans that are targeted for the musician's taste or for their for the taste in the music that's like the music they're receiving. Those fans listen to the song, and we pay them 10 cents for their feedback. Uh, and they give the song a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Thumbs up means that the artist gets that fan's email address and their Facebook link. So mm-hmm. there is a there is a cost to giving a thumbs up, yeah. right? You don't you don't want to get bombarded by too many musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're thumbs up in everything. So what we can show you then as the artist is a cost per acquisition. We could say of the twenty fans that we targeted, sixty percent or sixty six percent of them gave you a thumbs up. So if you were paying us, which we were charging, $0.33 cents per fan that you target, then, then that means that uh, your cost per acquisition is about $0.33 cents per, per fan. Essentially, w- what we wanted to do was help artists acquire fans through our system that they would have direct relationships with after that acquisition was done, and at the same time generate a lot of data that helps us inform the artist about how well their song is doing and with what types of fans. Mm. Yeah, that's brilliant. And another way to really help the musicians out by connecting them with fans. Music X-Ray has become the largest online community of music industry professionals in the world. Can you tell us how many users you have? I think you mentioned how many artists just now. How many? Yeah, we have half a million artists. We have about 1,200 music industry professionals. That fluctuates up and down seasonally based on you know when, 
when Hollywood's looking for music, uh, typically we have more music supervisors and that, that sort of thing. Okay. And we have, I think we're, we're about 2 million fans on the site now. Mm, wow. It's, we, we're, we're a boutique company. I mean, we're, we're, you know, barely, you know, five, six employees. But, um, you know, we, we manage the platform and have the relationships with the industry professionals and, you know, trying to kind of see what our next step is here in the market as well. Where, where are we taking Music X-Ray next is uh, kind of what we're trying to decide. Sure. Well, we connected a little bit on the fact that you grew, you were born in Minneapolis and grew up in rural Nebraska. We're fellow Midwesterners. Yeah, <laughs> Cheers to the Midwest. Yeah. Cheers to the Midwest. <laughs> you grew up in Nebraska and went to Creighton. When did you realize you had a passion for both music and business? And how were you first able to bring those two loves together in your work? Oh, uh, well, I grew up a musician and, you know, my grandmother was a piano teacher and an accordion teacher and you have to really love music to play the accordion and, and put up with all, with all the guff you get from the other kids. Um, and, uh, you know, and I was playing in bands in, in So you in played the accordion, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I played the accordion for a while. No, but not in not in bands. I switched to bass guitar and then, you know, other things. Um, but, uh, you know, so by the time I was uh, older and I had started my first company, I was living in, in Barcelona. Uh, you know, music was my, – my dream was to, you know, work in, work in the music industry. I was able to – uh, move uh, after I uh, sold my company, moved to a job as marketing director at the Olympic venues in in Barcelona. Um, the The Olympics had been held in Barcelona in '92, and uh, in '96 I was offered the job. And the task was to you know keep the Olympic Stadium and the Olympic uh, Arena full of events. Oh. So. Uh, a big part of my job became, you know, ensuring like the major concerts were coming through Barcelona and playing there. Wow. So you probably yeah. met some really interesting people in bands in that job. Did you get to yeah. actually meet them or were you just arranging for them to perform? No, I'm well, both. Um, yeah, I was going to talk at the end of of your show a bit about that. Yeah, um, well, let's just, yeah, it kind of ties in right now. This can be our, our yeah. coda that we close out the conversation with, a musical sure. ending. Talk to us about this experience that it, you had where music yeah, enhanced your it, life through your job. Yeah, I, I, you know, I saw the different topics that you suggested for, uh, for, for the coda and, and thought that, uh, you know, this was an experience around music that, that really changed the course of my life. Mm. This job I was offered came about very serendipitously, and I was kind of thrust into this position of being the only native English speaker in the Olympic venues system. Oh. And my job was specifically to work on um, corporate events and the concert business. And so I was interfacing with the local promoters, but then I would also end up interfacing with the managers and the uh, label executives and sometimes the acts themselves. And for five years that I had this job, I was just at just this amazing opportunity to build an incredible network in the music business with uh, people that I would never have had the opportunity to meet in my life. A, a kid coming from a very small town in Nebraska and, uh, you know, going over there to, to initially study and then um, wind up having a job like this was just, uh, and because it was around, you know, my passion, I, I, I loved the people that I was able to hang around with. I couldn't get enough of going to the concerts and hanging out with the, with the bands. And, uh, 
it was a lot easier to hang out with friends when you had concert tickets on offer. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, and it, it was just, uh, you know, something that enabled me to go on and have a career in the music business that, um, that I've just feel very fortunate and, and grateful to, to have had. There's no way to isolate one instance where music has affected my life the most because it has in so many areas. But I think just being able to work in it as a career has been a huge blessing. Thanks so much to Mike for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about Mike and his work, check out his podcast. Mike has a podcast called Hook Blast. It's a weekly 10-minute show where he pulls songs out of the music x-ray filter and gets the license from the musician to feature its hook in his podcast. So it's a great way to discover new music and artists. If you'd like to learn more about the Music X-Ray platform, there's a great short video on their website that explains exactly how it works. The Music X-Ray hit prediction service was actually a central part of the storyline on an episode of Numbers, the CBS TV series in 2008. I found that really fascinating. There is a link to that also in today's show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 89. I love to hear from listeners. If you're on Facebook, please follow me at Enhance Life Music. You can also connect with me on email, other social media platforms, or my website. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.